a few moments uh, from verse number one. Let's pray for a moment, shall we? Heavenly Father, we ask for your guidance. We ask for your Holy Spirit. And we ask for the courage to live in the light of what we're reading and what is so clear as you show us in your word today. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Uh, in the days in which uh, we, we live, uh, leaders are, are viewed negatively. That's the way we think about them, and it's automatic. Uh, I mean, who hasn't had a pop at the politicians? Uh, to some extent, you can understand why, uh, if they're throwing office parties when the country's in lockdown. But it's been going on like this for far longer than that. The, the postmodern world in which you live in, uh, arguably post-postmodern, but the, one, the world in which you live in doesn't like leaders. Uh, it's highly suspicious of them. It prefers the autonomy of self, the self-boss, the ultimate in individualism. And we see this in the workplace, uh, in comments like, uh, those senior managers up there in their ivory towers, they haven't a clue what it's like down here with the rest of us. Or, or in families, when, when fathers are, are effectively cast aside and, and viewed as unnecessary. And if you keep your ears peeled, you'll notice even when, when Peppa Pig is on, they take a pop at useless daddy pig. They're saying what the culture says. Leaders are, well, we're skeptical of them. And this negativity certainly extends to people's view of religious leaders as well. The whiff of, of institutional religion is enough to turn people away, isn't it? And so, in the church, in the realm of religion, of course, we are not unaffected. The very idea of church leadership in your local church may even greet with you. And it's true that, that when, I, when I explain in, in membership classes that the need to submit to the elders of the church, I do always sense how very much this grates against our present culture. Even as I say it, I, I, can, I can sense it. But like with other matters, we must allow the plain teaching of the Bible to shape us in this regard. Not our own desires and not the culture in which we swim. We must ask God and submit to his ways if we are to function as Christians in the New Testament church as he intends us to. Yes, sadly there are bad leaders out there. There are false teachers out there. Peter mentions them briefly in his second letter, uh, a few chapters on. Uh, but false prophets uh, also arose among the people, he says, chapter 2 of Second Peter 2, verse 1. Just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift, swift destruction. But thankfully, thankfully there are also faithful godly leaders and Peter is speaking about them in 1 Peter chapter 5. Let, let's read from there just now. 1 Peter chapter 5 at verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. 
Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Notice with me here several things. First of all, elders are plural. Plural. The, the New Testament uses three key terms that all point to the, to the office and role of elder. If you're interested, they are presbyteros, episkopos, and poimen. Uh, they're, they're all used in one form or another in Acts chapter 20 uh, with, by Luke to show us that they're connected. But I want to show you them uh, in Paul's letters. Uh, let's uh, look at Titus 1 verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, Paul writes, uh, so you might put what remained into order and appoint elders, uh, the word is presbyteros, in every town as I directed you. First uh, so Peter, uh, sorry, first that's Timothy one verse five. First Timothy at uh, three verse one, uh, Paul writes, "The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, that's episcopos, he desires a noble task." And then finally, Ephesians four verse eleven, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, also translated the pastors, which is the word poimen and teachers, elder, overseer, and pastor, shepherd. All of these are the same office in the New Testament church. They refer to the same office. Uh, and you could say Elder Brian, and, and you would. You might not say it like that, but that's what you're talking about. And you could also say Overseer Brian and Pastor Shepherd Brian. Now, he's not here today, so I can say that, and he's not squirming in his seat. But that, that's, that, that's, that's right. Biblically speaking, that is right, because you've called him to this office as a church the other week. But for certain practical reasons, we don't use all these terms uh, like that. Uh, we, we, have, we have pastor, don't we, uh, as a slightly different thing. Uh, he, he is a, a person that's set aside, usually full-time, uh, to serve as the, as the one responsible for preaching and teaching, uh, the first among equals in the elders. But he is equal among the elders, and that's the point here. Now, there is more than one Verse 1, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, Peter writes. And, of course, you could argue that Peter is talking about many churches here because he's writing to many churches. Uh, but uh, in other passages, we can very clearly demonstrate that plurality of elders, more than one, is the New Testament pattern. Uh, the top verse in the screen is, is a good example for you. Uh, and uh, uh, Titus 1 verse 5, appoint elders. James 5 verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. There was a time when it was fairly common to have one pastor, uh, the elder, and a collection of deacons running the local Baptist churches up and down our land and, and across the water. And well, that was the pattern. Uh, it gave more authority uh, than the Bible gives to deacons, uh, and that muddies several other issues, but, but, but more about that next week, by the way. But, but two or more elders, leaders, is the way things should be set up in the local church, if this is possible. The elders 
who lead the church. Now, they are not ultimately in charge. We believe in what is called congregational government. Let me explain that to you in a couple of passages, Matthew 18. Um, if your brother uh, sins against you, uh, go and tell him his fault uh, between uh, you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Jesus is speaking here about someone sinning against you uh, in the local church setting. And, and he doesn't say, you'll notice, uh, tell it to the elders after you've done a couple of things to try and make it work to start with. When it escalates, he says, tell it to the church. Now, you might tell it to the elders, but going higher than that is telling it to the church, the congregation. Practically speaking, the members of the local church that you're part of. Think also of Acts chapter 6 when, when the, the need arises for what looks like the first deacons uh, and listen to the instruction of, from the apostles. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. No one else is picking the deacons, as it were. It's not, it's not by lot anymore. Uh, post-Pentecost, it's the local church who are setting aside for service these, these seven men of good repute, making important decisions together. You see what I'm trying to say, don't you? There, there are no hierarchical structures or bodies in the New Testament. Think of the seven independent churches in Asia uh, in Revelation, early part of Revelation, and Jesus treats them as individual churches and the removal of their individual lampstand could happen to any as he saw fit. Independence, highest human authority is the gathered congregation. That is why our members decide who join the church. Applications are made. The members vote on it. That's why our members decide who serves as elders, deacons, who serves in named roles in our church, in departmental responsibility. That's how they decide what the pastor is paid. And, and, and we've just done all of that at the AGM. The final human authority is the local church. And we say human authority because, of course, it is the church of Jesus Christ. It's not my church. It's not the elders' church. It was not Paisley's church back in the day or whatever other name attachment there is to a well-known leader in a church. It's the church of Jesus Christ. But plural elders, it is who lead. That is important. We've seen that. But what are these elders to be like? What marks them? Well, elders are, secondly, shepherd leaders. Verse 2, First uh, Peter 5 again, have a look. Verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. So we have, we have shepherding and we have exercising oversight. And these two ideas, these two words go a long way to, dis to explain the leadership role of, of elders as Jesus intends it to be. Shepherds, of course, are, are among the sheep. They they know the sheep, they, they smell like sheep, they care about the sheep. Oversight, it's about 
keeping watch, isn't it? About, about protection, which is what shepherds do for their sheep. In Israel, uh, the shepherd would have slept across the gap in the stone wall. That was the entrance and exit into the enclosure. Uh, he would have slept across that to protect the sheep from the wolves at night. You can't get in or out without climbing over the shepherd. Paul says to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, he's about to leave them for the last time. It's a fitting scene, and this is what he says. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among yourselves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them, to protect the sheep under their care. There is a need to, to, to be careful. There is a need to, to look out, to be alert, to spot danger. And, and I have spotted a danger, but, but I'll tell you about that later. Shepherding and exercising oversight. Peter goes on in verse 2 to speak about the motivation for an elder. He says, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Elders are not to serve under mere obligation, uh, but to do it willingly, God's word says. As you ought to, to serve the Lord always, for he is the Lord, and it is a privilege. And you do it for him, as he would have you serve willingly, you serve willingly. Not for shameful gain, it says. Not for dishonest gain, not for to be seen even, but with eagerness. With a, with a love for the one we serve, with a, what can I do? He's done everything for me. With a, with a desire to do a good job, as it were. For no matter what other job you have, or whatever else you do with your time, if you have been called to this, then this is your foremost role as elder in the local church. For each and every one of us, well, in the local church, it's always local church first when it comes to, you know, what what about my Sunday? How am I going to do that? Local church first. What about people that I might think about inviting around? Local church first. What about somebody that's in need that I'm aware of? Yeah, local church first. That, that, that's, that's what it should be. Speaking now about, about attitude, not domineering, Peter writes, over those in your charge. Because, of course, sadly, we all know of situations uh, in church leadership like this, probably, uh, it, it still no doubt goes on today, using people as a ladder to climb, making strategy calls to promote yourself, removing people who get in the way, uh, feathering your own nest. Uh, at the thick end of it is, is spiritual abuse even. Bad leaders, fleecing the sheep for their own ends. No, do not domineer over those in your charge, but, and the contrast, being examples to the flock. Middle of verse 5 with humility toward one another. The leader is not to dominate or to promote himself, but to lead others as an example and with humility. John Stott uh, was a famous uh, pastor in All Souls Langham Place in London before Rico Tice was there. Uh, he, he, he was a prolific author. He was a prolific conference speaker. And Tim Chester wrote a biography of, of John Stott. And he tells how... Stotts and his colleague, Rene, were traveling to speak at some meetings in Argentina, in South America. 
And he, he tells how they ended up in the countryside late at night, crossing muddy fields to get to their final destination. And when Rene woke up the following morning, he found John Stott uh, with his shoes cleaning them, cleaning the, the mud off them. Rene's shoes. Uh, Stott's long-term secretary, Francis Whitehead, said that it amazes me that every day he emptied my waste paper basket and he did it for many, many years. John Stott, leading the people like a shepherd, leading from the front, being a servant yourself, which is an example to the rest, serving as a godly example to follow, serving the, the sheep that has, that has wandered, the sheep that is sick, the sheep that is sick spiritually, the sheep that is discouraged, the sheep that needs to be reminded that there's a, there's a future, uh, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a pointing needed to, to, to a future day when the, when the chief shepherd appears and, and there's no more trouble. The reminding of the present help of the Savior too, who's with us always. And of course, there's lots of Lots of Bible, isn't there, in that rich theme of, of pastor-shepherd. Good shepherds know the sheep. They protect the sheep. They lead the sheep in the direction of godliness and service, and they feed the sheep. Turn with me to another passage in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And those of you who know your Bible will not be surprised. I'm going here. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to read from verse 1 to 6. First Timothy 3 verse 1, this is uh, Paul writing and, and he says this to, to Timothy, this, uh, the saying is trustworthy, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, elder, pastor, teacher, pastor, shepherd, he desires a noble task. Therefore an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil." This passage outlines the, the job spec, uh, a whole lot of problems with that comment, but you know what I mean, the, the, the specifications, the qualifications for an elder. It's a noble task, so he must be above reproach. That doesn't mean perfect, uh, but that you would be surprised to hear ill of him. Uh, he's of such character, uh, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome or argumentative, not a lover of money, able to manage their own house, not conceited and puffed up, well thought of by outsiders. Notice, notice that this is mostly character, isn't it? Rather than gift, which might surprise you because we tend to think ability, don't we? Oh, he's such a good preacher. He's got such gifts. We should make him an elder. But actually, biblically, it's, it's more about character. And yes, most of you here are not elders. But uh, at, the, at the option of switching off here, 
and saying, I'm, I'm out of application here, it's great, I can rest easy. Isn't it true, isn't it true that, that we're about mutual ministry? I've mentioned that a few times in this series, the idea where we're all in this journey together, this trajectory towards Christ-likeness together, and so you, you help me on the road to godliness as I help you on the road to godliness. So we need to know what direction your fellow brother in Christ who is an elder or who may one day be an elder needs to go on. So you need to know this stuff. But isn't it also true that these traits are what are expected in each of us? With the elders being the chief examples for all of us? So that applies too. Most of these qualifications are on the corresponding list just a few verses down for, for deacons. Except that at the end of verse 2, we have able to teach, which is not on the deacon's list, which is a gift rather than character, yes. An elder must be able to teach God's word teaches. That doesn't necessarily mean preaching the pulpit. That is ideal. That is good. And our elders can. And during a vacancy, it's really good that your elders can preach for practical reasons. But it also mean, but it does mean at least that you, as an elder, know your Bible well enough to teach someone who is deviating from it or who asks you about it or in a sort of one-to-one -one basis around a cup of coffee. You, you, you know your Bible well enough because, because you, can, you can smell a rat, as it were, because you know it. Elders feed the flock and, and the flock feed on the milk and meat of God's word. They're men of scripture, that means. They're not recent converts, converts to Christianity, coming to faith in Jesus. You know what that means? Trusting in him for your salvation alone, not recently. They know their Bible well. Now, on to matters of current interest. The practice of this church uh, is that elders must be men. Pastors or elders, using the terms as we would use them, must be men. But more than practice uh, or even tradition, please see this as what the Bible teaches. Now, some disagree, and uh, some people would teach that this passage, 1 Timothy 3, is, is difficult to interpret. They, they would ask questions like, how can we neglect our women who have leadership and Bible teaching gifts? And they would ask, and now this is the kicker, right? What would society out there say about us if we said that elders had to just be men. But this is a clear passage. And to have female elders requires taking scissors to your Bible. Some have tried, uh, some have tried to translate verse 2, the husband of one wife, as something gender neutral like faithful to your spouse. It's, it's literally a one-woman man in the original, okay? That's what it's literally, a one-woman man. Now, now, of course, we do not require an elder to be married. He could have never married and be considered for eldership if he had these qualities as, as outlined. So in that sense, you, you could translate the husband of one wife slightly more flexibly, maybe a one-woman man or a no-woman man. You could do that. That's within the scope of this. But what you cannot do is make it refer to a woman. Middle of verse 1. 
he desires. Start at verse 4. He must. Start at verse 6. He must not. Verse 7. He must be well thought of so that he may not fall into disgrace. It's he pronouns throughout and it's he pronouns in the original. You have to seriously cut and paste your Bible otherwise. That's female elders. That goes against scripture. What about female preachers? Let's think about not just elders, but preachers. Can a woman preach in church? Uh, maybe as a one-off or you know, three or four times a year and, and, and not be an elder. And could she be just under the authority of the male elders? That's, that, that sort of phrase does the rounds. Well, the answer is no. Because if someone preaches in church, they are, I'll show you this in a minute, but they are either an elder or they're acting like an elder, a quasi-elder. For to open the word of God in the pulpit before the gathered congregation and to say, thus says the Lord, is to say that this is what this church teaches. And I'm doing this just now, aren't I? And, and you're listening to me, and at least you ought to, as an expounder and explainer of what God has said. And it comes with authority, because I'm teaching you from this book, God's authority. And we as a church fall under that. That is what the Bible calls teaching authority. And that is an elder's job, or someone acting like one. 1 Timothy 2, verse 12. Go back a page. 1 Timothy 2, verse 12. I do not permit a woman to teach or to, or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, just before these instructions that we've read about being an elder, gives this important instruction in the same flow of speaking. He's talking about the same thing, just a few verses above. And he links, doesn't he? He links teaching with exercising authority. For, of course, elders are those who teach scripture, as we said, and those who are in authority. In other words, she's not to preach a sermon at the front, a woman like an elder. For that is an elder's job, or a training elder, or someone who is a retired elder, even. Let me explain it to you like this. If I, um, if I get on an aeroplane... And the one in the, in the pilot seat, as they've got the, the doors open that they do sometimes, if I look in and the one, one in the pilot seat uh, looks like a firefighter or a builder or a clown from the circus, well, I'm not really happy to stay on the aeroplane, am I? Because we need a pilot at the front. And in church, we need an elder at the front or someone who looks and acts like one. Our sister, she can testify she can share a thought, she can introduce a song, uh, she, can, she can read the Bible, she can pray, she, she should do all these things. She's not a tea lady, she's not to remain silent full stop, she's made in God's image with wonderful gifts and abilities. She can teach men in, in an informal way, happens to me all the time. When, but when it's presented as authoritative, thus says the Lord, thus teaches this church, we are beyond her God-given design and role. Kevin DeYoung, in his book, Men, Women, and the Church, says, Women can minister to the sick, the dying, the mentally impaired, 
the physically handicapped. They can share their faith, share their resources, open their home to strangers. They can write, counsel, mentor, organize, administrate, design, plan, and come alongside others. They can pray. They can serve on committees of the church. They can come alongside the elders and deacons in difficult circumstances involving women or those needing a woman's perspective. They can minister to single moms, new moms, breast cancer survivors and abuse victims. They can bring meals, sew curtains, send care packages, throw baby showers. They can do sports ministries, lead women's Bible studies, teach systematic theology to other women and plan mission trips. They can teach children. They can raise their kids to the glory of God. He says, I pray for women, not the male elders, but women, to counsel almost divorced wives and mentor young ladies and teach the Bible and good doctrine to other women. Oh, how we need women to love the Bible and good doctrine. Women can help widows. They can care for those struggling with the remorse of abortion. They can show the glory of the gospel in racial and ethnic reconciliation. And they can do all of the above cross-culturally, in unreached places, and with the unwanted peoples of the world. In other words, there are 10,000 things women can be doing in ministry. Verse 13 of 1 Timothy 2.13 says, For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Our sister does not need to become the man in the same way the man does not need to become the woman. And this goes back to creation. It's, it's that fundamental. This, this is not just for Timothy in a particular setting in, in Ephesus as a one-off or, or indeed in, for Titus in Crete uh, in a very similar list of qualifications in Titus chapter 1. This is not cultural. This goes back to creation, which tells you it's once for all time. Adam and Eve, men and women, are both made in God's image, but made different. They are not the same. They are not interchangeable, no matter the drive for this out there. Kevin DeYoung says, Adam is made the leader, the protector, the provider. Eve's skills are more nurture, help, and support. She has relational gifts the man can only dream of. My wife has taught me much. She's taught me much about people much about sensitivity, much about the Bible, much about godliness, but she will not teach in this pulpit and neither she should. It's not so much, of course, what women can't do as what men should be doing. Isn't that right? And when men step up and do as they are meant to, well, well then we, this issue becomes much less, doesn't it? I said earlier that it's true that these traits are expected in each of us, with the elders being the chief example for all of us. These First Timothy 3 traits, these, this character, this Christ-likeness. But why not say that actually, that we men should all be aiming to be elders, to be heading in that direction, in that growth in godliness direction with this list of character that we have aspired to? Why not say that? This morning. And that's a challenge, isn't it? The passage is clear, unless you want it to be unclear. There are plenty of places where we can and should see our women using their many gifts. And they can exercise their God given gifts in plenty of ways that do not break the clear teaching of Scripture, and they must. And what culture says about us is not relevant. This is a danger. I mentioned it earlier. I can see a danger. And it's a danger that I want to protect you from. 
and I as an elder have to protect you. But you know what? If we decide to go soft on gender roles, God has ordained for the office of elder, backed by creation. What comes next when we consider the gender roles ordained by God for marriage? You join the dots. Does God really mean that therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall become one flesh in Genesis? Does he really mean that? Or can we have gender neutral comments in that verse as well? Can we interpret that how we wish? This has happened in churches up and down England that have went soft on the elder rule and now went soft on the marriage rules. Elders are plural. Elders are shepherd leaders. Finally, this morning, elders are pointers. The leadership of uh, the church is, is not like the board of a big company with CEOs and such like. No, it is made up of servant-hearted leaders who shepherd the flock and, and exercise oversight, who, who know the flock, who, who protect the flock, who, who lead the flock in works of service, and who feed the flock from God's word. But they are chiefly pointers. This is helpful because... If, like me, you're a fixer, it becomes very frustrating when things aren't fixed. But I have to remind myself that I'm a pointer to the one who can fix when I cannot. All the circumstances of life that I've loved to be able to fix in people, and I'm, I fall short. But you see, elders are chiefly pointers. They're elders, they're pastor shepherds, they're overseers, but there is a chief one. There is one above human authority. There's one to whom this church belongs, and all godly church elders point to him. The church is his. He's the chief shepherd. Now, let's turn back to 1 Peter and have a look. 1 Peter 5, 5 verse 1 to 5. He's the chief shepherd. It's there in verse 4. He's the one that shows us the humility, the servant leadership, the one who stoops low, the one who shows the way. He's the, real, he's the real senior pastor. He's the one who leads from the front. He's the one who shows us how to serve. He's the one who equips the saints for the works of, of service. He's the one who's perfect, who never makes a mistake, the only savior of sinners. He's the elder of elders. He's the overseer of overseers. He's the shepherd of shepherds, the pastor of pastors, and he's the teacher of teachers. You see, elders are, are sheep too. Did you, did you know that? They need Christ no less than any other church member or visitor. They too need encouragement. They too need someone pointing them to his coming. When whatever the issue is will be fixed in a remade world that he promises. There are rewards, aren't there, for faithful servants. If you look there in verse 4, the, the reward for faithful eldership is given to us. It's the crown of glory that never fades. Eldership is hard. There is cultural resistance to, to submit and obey your leaders, a pushback against leadership, and instead a tendency to point out their feelings. There's often a lot of hassle 
There are people who can at any time give you serious heartache and restless nights and fall off the spiritual wagon. It does happen. It really does, sadly. So why would you? Why would you be an elder? Well, because God has given us the desire. Because it's our delight to serve Christ the chief. Because it's a, it's a noble work. Because we long to use what the master has given us while he's away. Because we long to see his kingdom grow. Pray for your elders and pastors. The devil wants to get them more than most. Paul asks for the churches to pray for him on several occasions in his letters. Someone asked uh, Charles Spurgeon the secret of his effective ministry, and he said this, my people pray for me. Please set aside time for that. We, we really need that. Love your elders and pastors. First Thessalonians 5 verse 13 says, esteem them highly in love because of their work. Invite them around for dinner. Encourage them with the odd remark. Remember their birthday. Sometimes leaders don't know if their congregations actually like them. Small things will do that. Do that for David and Rodney and Brian and myself and soon Tim. Uh, Chris is on the clock now, of course, but we pray that you'll find the same in Malisle. Follow the example of your elders and pastors. Now that, of course, puts the application back, first of all, in the court of the elders, doesn't it? To be willing servants, to be an example first, to be eager in the task, to be good pointers. And we need help with that in your mutual ministry to us. But it also means, doesn't it, that we ought to aim to have these qualities and to progress in our Christian growth, all of us. And... If you're a man, you should have this aim to have the qualities and to be considered as an elder. You should. To see progress in your faith in that direction. Finally, honor your elders and pastors. Be subject to them, says verse 5. Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. 1 Timothy 5, verse 17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. If, if you see leadership that reflects the biblical principles and the example of Jesus, you honor such leaders. How do I honor them? How do I do that? Well, honor them by paying attention to, to their teaching. Understand the amount of work that goes into sermon preparation, and so you come out unless there's a there's a massive hurdle you know like a beecher's brook or a chair or something don't let a small hurdle get in your way it has to be a big one with a water jump to keep you from church or use the catch-up options the, the spotify and the youtube if you miss honor them by refusing to take part in rumors or gossip about them just just shut it down you know honor them by being a joy to pastor Show up often, volunteer when someone, something needs done, encourage, have a good attitude, do the little things well. This is not a members club. This is not a restaurant. This is not a supermarket or a large company. This is the church of Jesus Christ on earth. 
And so he's given us the office of elder to lead us, men called by Christ. Honor them. And by so doing, you honor the chief elder, the overseer of your souls, the pastor of pastors, the one that says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Let's pray for a moment as the musicians join me. Our Father, we ask that these words of yours that we've read today would come alive and enable us to desire to be men and women of character and to love and honor and see the example of our elders and live in that Christward direction looking to the chief shepherd. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. We're going to sing, Lord, for the years uh, your love has kept and guided uh, as before that, before we come to the Lord's Supper. Thank you.